0: evolutionaries, and welcome to the For the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Dale Sedgwick, CEO of Hope Initiatives. Hope Initiatives is a faith-based nonprofit social enterprise charted in 2002. Their mission is to help restore lives damaged by incarceration, addictions, and poverty through employment, job skill training, spiritual guidance, encouragement, and hope. They operate multiple businesses to fulfill that social mission and aim for seamless integration of business and mission. Dale is is an accomplished executive with 20 years of experience in building high-performing sales and marketing organizations, defining and executing strategy, and forging key relationships to drive growth and competitive positioning across multiple industries and verticals. After retiring from Xerox Corporation, Ms. Sedgwick assumed the position of Chief Executive Officer of Hope Initiatives. She previously served as Vice President Marketing and Communications with Xerox Business Services Commercial Businesses Group, with responsibilities encompass all aspects of marketing, she served for six years as vice president for the financial services industry business team of Xerox Global Services. And Dale and her team worked directly with banking, securities, and insurance clients to provide consulting and outsourcing services offered by XGS. She's a graduate of Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia, where she received a Bachelor of Science degree in mathematics. She also has a Master of Business Administration degree from the Simon School at the University of Rochester and Certification in Global Account Management from Columbia University in New York and St. Gallen University in Switzerland. A committed Christian, she has been active and member of Bethel Christian Fellowship in downtown Rochester, New York, for more than 20 years. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dale.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: So... I would just love to hear, I mean, you clearly have uh, quite an accomplished resume in the, in the for-profit sector. Um, where was it that you both became uh, aware of HOPE initiatives and then, and then also decided, maybe this is something that I want to do as a, as a career? Or I, don't, I don't know if you'd see it as a second career or, or kind of how you've done it for yourself.
1: Well, my original plan was to retire from my for-profit world and do something in the nonprofit world after retirement um, like many at Xerox, my career ended before I planned its ending, and um, I guess I would say that Hope Initiatives and I kind of found each other through my pastor. Um, he was aware that Hope Initiatives needed a CEO, and was also aware that I was contemplating what my next move should be. Did I do I want to retire? Do I want to go back to the not to the for-profit world for a while? Do I want to accelerate my uh, post-retirement plan and do something? I was just kind of searching. And uh, he mentioned it, and it just resonated, and I thought, you know what, this is an opportunity to kind of do all, all the above because Hope Initiatives does function as a business, and it meets um, a good need in the community. And so it was a, the perfect marriage of that for-profit and non-profit, if you will. Uh, mission to walk into after my many, many years at my previous employer.
0: I love it. Well, it, y- even though you weren't maybe there from the beginning, because uh, it, it does say it was chartered in 2002, maybe uh, I'm sure you've got a little bit of kind of the, the history of, of, of its founding. So can you just walk us through kind of some of that some of that company lore?
1: Sure. Um, it started um, actually as a food pantry um, in, back in 2002. It was an initiative of the church I attend now, Bethel Christian Fellowship Day and a lot of other churches. Uh, came together to provide uh, much-needed food services to many of the communities around Rochester. Um, It was initially an umbrella organization, um, not only for the food pantry, but there were other projects um, that were funded, grant-funded projects. Um, One I think was called COPE. It was for children whose parents were incarcerated. Uh, There was a program called FACS. uh, That was um, Geared towards educating students in school and encouraging them to abstain from premarital sex to try to reduce the uh, the child, the um, the single parent uh, households that we that we have here and have um, our students make better choices, and um, I think another one was Bethel Express, which still is going strong today as its own uh, independent organization. It's an organization that. Provides I can't remember the, their their logo but they're kind of three S's Scholastic Success Spiritual Stability and there's one other uh, that they do but all those organizations were originally a part of Hope Initiatives and um, as we went through the years um, grants dry up unfortunately and the business transitioned to what we do today um, and that is uh, being a, basically a fulfillment partner for Monroe County DHS in the build in provision of uh, furniture and household goods. Um, to many of our impoverished citizens around the Rochester area. Wow! And so
0: th- there are, though, uh, as you mentioned, uh, a few different kind of lines of business, so mm-hmm. to speak. So, so what are some of the ways that that you are actually producing, you know, these these products?
1: So we, um, as I said, we we have multiple. We have three lines of business primarily. Um, one is the manufacturing of uh, furniture and the purchasing of household goods. Um, we have a. Our office is basically a manufacturing building. I don't know if you're familiar with Rochester, but it's the old AJ Glass building. Okay. Some people remember AJ yeah. Glass. Um That's where we are, uh, right there on Broad Street. Uh, but we manufacture, and it's it's very simple. Manufacturing our our um, commitment is to turn around very very quickly um, to needs uh, to the needs of individuals who don't have anything. And so imagine having coming from having come from a shelter. Uh, going into a new place to live, and you have nothing but a floor and some garbage bags that contain your items. And so we have a commitment within literally um, just a couple of days to provide um, could be a sofa, table and chairs, a bed, um, storage chest uh, for your items, as well as things like um, linens, uh, pots, pans, dishes, etc. So literally everything that a person would need in order to do house <laughs> in, their new, in their new living arrangement. And so we, so we make the furniture, as I said, we procure the, uh, the household goods, and we deliver everything as a package um, to the individual who has been approved by DHS typically, or by other local agencies who provide similar support to their clients. Um, we'll deliver them uh, to them so they have what they need. So I, I, that in and of itself sounds like it's a, a
0: bit of a social mission, but then I know that you go so far beyond that in the, the folks that you're employing mm-hmm. also. So tell us a little bit about, was that part from, uh, from the get-go that uh, in terms of trying to focus on uh, you know, a, a population that whether, as we mentioned, incarceration, addiction, things like that?
1: Um, probably not at the beginning. Um, at the beginning, the, the organization was run by individuals who um, did not fit that profile but who had a heart. Um, for our city, and who worked really hard to try to improve um, the quality of life for those around us, um, we do the same. But we also, whenever we have job opportunities available, we do hire from the population that we serve. Um, we, as within our manufacturing operation, uh, we are also a participant within with uh, Rochester Works and their work equivalent work um, experience program. And so we have quite a few WEP uh, participants with us on a regular basis. Whenever we have a need to hire someone uh, to work in our manufacturing area, we look first to the WEP population, um, because many of them do represent the, the, some, some of them are individuals who have come from incarceration. Some have been, have struggled with addictions. Uh, many are you know, have experienced generational uh, poverty. And so we are delighted to be able to to choose from that population first whenever there is a job opening in our manufacturing area or in our move and delivery team. We also have a move and delivery um, and storage business as well. So obviously,
0: uh, or maybe not obviously, but but you know, working with those types of populations, I think a, a job is is something that could really mm-hmm. be a game changer for them and their their life trajectory. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's so much more. Beyond just a job, that, that someone like that needs to be able to help, uh, you know, rise up from their circumstances. So, what other are you working with other organizations, or what other kinds of things are, are often those folks needing uh, to to be successful?
1: Yeah, we are we're fairly independent in terms of the way we operate, except that we do, as I said, work with individuals who come to us from Rochester Works and from other um, other agencies that provide reentry programs or that provide job training uh, programs. They or or um, not so much job training; they need a, a job training outlet for individuals that they may be um, encouraging through a, a, just a, a break from their addiction. Um, so um, we will. So we will provide. Um, we have a, what we call a life coach office uh, within our um, building, and that's a really important part of what we do. Um, they are geared towards uh, providing some of those job readiness and retention skills are for the individuals who come to us, whether from another agency or from Rochester Works. And those job readiness and retention skills are things that you may take for granted, but really are needed and don't necessarily exist within individuals who haven't worked ever or who haven't worked for a very long time. So those could be things that are as simple as um, how to come to work when you're scheduled, Uh, working after you arrive and not punching in and then taking a walk down the street, things like showing initiative. When you're finished with a task, do you sit down and do nothing or do you get up and ask for something else to do? Being flexible, being able to, uh, let's say if you're if you're making tables today, are you willing to learn how to make beds tomorrow? Um, so those kinds of skills are the kinds of skills that employers say they're looking for. I've had conversations with many employers who'll say, I can teach them to do the thing that I need to have done in my my organization. But I don't have the time to cheat someone to come to work or to how to resolve a conflict or um, come to work on time or show some initiative when they get there or or be able to follow direction. I need them to come to me with that. And so we try to reinforce, demonstrate and reinforce those kinds of skills within our work environment and having individuals work. and they really do work when they come. They don't. This is not a place where you'd come to kind of sit down and watch your you know look at your your watch and then leave at the end of the day. You actually are working. And so you're forced to learn to be flexible and to come on time and, you know, to do all those things that are important to employers. Our life coaches, we have two people um, who are serving in that capacity right now. Um, they try to observe individuals uh, not only as a group and try to um, to demonstrate those skills and to make information about those things available and to find opportunities to reinforce and to recognize when we see one who's someone who's really improved, um, they will also identify individuals within the cooperation with our um, shop floor supervisors and operations manager. Uh, they may pull someone aside who is showing a deficiency in a particular area and work with them specifically on how to improve in that particular skill. Um, we also will help them with resumes. We will always glad. We are always glad to provide a reference letter. Uh, for someone who's really done a great job um, at their assignment, and so they've got something tangible and just a good recommendation from, we believe, a credible company um, to take with them when they're when they're on their job search. Great. So, so it sounds like part of your
0: model is is a a, a good start, right? To to mm-hmm. give them some of these opportunities, but ultimately you're hoping that they can they can go on to to other employment. So, how long is someone typically with your organization? Does it kind of vary based on their own progression and development,
1: or and so it depends. Um, if they are assigned to us as a part of a work experience program, uh, they can be with us anywhere from six to twelve months. Sometimes it's a lot less than that. Um, we don't. We, we're glad to see them go if they found a job sure. while they're with us. We're, we're very happy for that. Um, some individuals are there for the full six to twelve months. That really is dependent upon how long um, their their assignment is. Deter- their de- assignment is determined by Rochester Works in that instance. And so we don't get to decide for ourselves when they shall leave. It it just depends upon whether they leave to get another job or, unfortunately, if they're not meeting the objectives, they're not showing up when they need to show up and so forth, we may have to ask them to leave earlier than than planned. Um, Individuals who we hire range anywhere, I'd say, from we have one person who's been there for 14 years, believe it or not. Um, I'm very happy to say that the um, operations manager is a good example. Of, um, of a person who came to us as a as a WEP employee and um, has been with us now for five years. Uh, he's worked his way up from being a WEP employee to someone who developed excellent skills with our um, computer numerical control in our welding shop and now is our operations manager. As I said, he's been there for five years. Um, our administrator has been with us for five years, uh, came to us as, as a WEP um, as a part of the work, work experience program. So. Um, I could say anywhere from two all the way up to twelve or fourteen years seems to seems to be the uh, the practice there. Well, that's beautiful.
0: No, I mean, if if those that are that are able to stay and are progressing mm-hmm. and and able to find opportunities to to grow inside the organization, that's that's great too. I'm wondering if we kind of go to the other side of the of the employee experience, so to speak, in terms of that intake. Uh, you, you you mentioned you're getting them from other organizations. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of uh, interview process, or how do you kind of determine whether or not you think they're ready for this this next step with Hope Initiatives?
1: That's a good question. We really do rely upon the other organizations to assess the readiness of an individual to leave, say, a recovery program, um, or to take the next step to an organization like ours if they've been on different assignments um, with the work of work um, experience program. So it, we really do rely upon our partners to do that. We obviously have a stringent. Uh, process for hiring individuals, like any any company would, uh, but we're pretty open actually in terms of individuals who can come to us for work experience. We're in fact uh, we're quite unique in that we will take individuals um, with a variety of backgrounds. We don't uh, rule them out because of um, felony convictions and things of that nature. We'll take them and um, try to find that that the thing that makes their eyes sparkle in terms of what they like to do. Uh, with the hopes of getting them used to the idea of working and um, in the habit of working and excited about doing something that they really enjoy doing someday. Mm, that thing that makes their eyes sparkle. I yeah. love that. So,
0: <laughs> so what kinds of things then are you looking for? Again, because some of the things that maybe would be disqualifiers for other organizations mm-hmm. aren't for you. So what are some of the things that you are looking for when you're going through your, your hiring process?
1: For the hiring process we really are looking for someone who um, has demonstrated that they just like any other employer are you going to show up? Are you going to come to work? Are you going to work diligently uh, while you are there? Um, we do look for if they've had work experience outside of ours we do look for transferable skills um, that can play well and uh, help them in within our environment uh, but more than anything we look for integrity, uh, reliability, um, flexibility hmm. Well, it, it's
0: such an impactful way to um, to give that give that chance. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes it's a second chance, but mm-hmm. I've I've said that before, and some people are saying, well, you know, a lot of these people never had a first chance. You know, the That's way true. that their 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 lives and their their childhoods and their experiences were set up. But um, giving them that chance and and looking at um, what kinds of opportunities they maybe did or didn't have coming up through Rochester um, or or wherever they may be from. But what are some of the things that you're seeing? Um Are there ways that we can kind of stem this tide uh, you know in Rochester more more broadly if we're trying to make more more systemic changes? are there are there things based on you know common challenges that you're seeing of of the what got some of the folks that you're working with to to where they are or things that we
1: we could really work on? well, our our belief is that a job really is one of the most fundamental things that you need to have if you're going to if you're going to address a poverty issue, which Rochester obviously has. And so, um, having jobs available for individuals who are willing, willing to work is, is critical in terms of what needs to be done. Um, and having employers be more open in their hiring processes, I, it just in reading, just reading newspaper from time to time, it's encouraging to see that many companies now are beginning to rethink their, their criteria, um, historically, you know, no, if, if a person had a criminal record, for example, uh, they would have to check that box on a job application and know that they would never get a call back. And I do believe that's beginning to change and change among some very large companies who are saying, you know, there's a whole population of individuals, not all of whom are bad, and uh, who can work successfully, you know, just find the the right niche. I mean, you probably wouldn't want to put the person who was found guilty of fraud in charge of your trading floor or something. I mean, sure. you, you, there are some things you just wouldn't do necessarily on their first time out. But, um, but certainly there is something, it's an individual with some skills and some capability. And so why not find a place for them to work within your organization instead of just ignoring an entire segment uh, of the population? Um, so the availability of jobs would be key. Um, flexibility in terms of um, or rethinking some of the hiring criteria that has been in place before. Um, and then addressing some very fundamental things like child care and transportation. Those are two things that keep many uh, single parents in particular out of the job market. Um, And I'll get on my soapbox for just a moment, and I won't stay there for very long. But um, the other thing I see happening and uh, even happened within our own environment is, you know, if a person is currently within a social services system and they're getting much-needed support, but when they begin to work their way out of it, um, they need to be allowed to work their way out of it Versus getting to a point where, oh, wait a minute, if I actually work one more hour or if I get another, you know, dollar raise or 50 cents raise, I'm going to lose my food benefit. And that, you know, their their salary may not be, an, it may not quite be at the level because they are starting at an entry level and working their way up. It isn't at the level where they can afford to fully lose their benefits. But I've heard so many people say that they're afraid because they'll lose their their, their benefit as they're starting this, their, their path uh, towards independence. And so somehow or another, we need to um, design our system so that a person is no longer afraid of losing a benefit before they can really afford to do so.
0: Yeah, the, the benefits cliff, as, I, as I've heard yes. it termed, right? You know, yeah. it, it creates some perverse incentives for actually trying to work your way out of it, the, the situation.
1: Yeah, it does. It does.
0: So you have a incredibly inspiring, uh, you know, social mission. But as as you have right on your website there, uh, that you are a, a seamless integration of business <laughs> and mission. So how do you kind of try to how do you try to balance the, the the purpose and the
1: profit? Well, I don't see it as a balancing act as much as I I see it as you know one depends upon the other. Uh, you cannot accomplish a purposeful objective without being profitable. If you have no money, you can't do what you need to do. And so you, you have to be profitable in order to accomplish a purposeful mission. Um, without a strong purpose, you're, you're just chasing something that's empty. And so I, I really see them as very much interconnected. And that's that's the culture we try to build within our organization. It's just a strong appreciation for um, for what we do, not just a strong appreciation for, it, hey, I've got a paycheck, um, but a strong appreciation for what we do and the need to do it efficiently so that we can continue to do it. Yeah,
0: so you know, I, I think that Again, we were talking before we got started in terms of that kind of that integration, that conscious with mm-hmm. that capitalism. Right. Um, but but in 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 the long run, I think there's there's all kinds of research that has shown that you know these conscious capitalism organizations, by by having that mission, by giving back to the community, by treating their employees well, people stick around at the company longer. The community right. wants to surround and support them. The customers become more loyal. All mm-hmm. these sorts of downstream impacts um, that really in the long run do lead to some. Uh, you know, mutually beneficial outcomes for purpose and profit. Have there been any kind of instances throughout your your time where you've had to make some maybe maybe in the short term that it was a tough decision on the on the profit side to you know to impact that purpose or, or kind of making because sometimes the the trade-offs in the short run, right. um, i'm I'm totally
1: with you in the long run. yeah. I mean, every company I think has to make decisions. yeah, you you, you have to maintain your your bottom line. and so um, I know in our history there have been times when uh, employees have been told, okay, you know, we we need you to take off a day or so or or go home early or something like that in order to, to make sure that the, the bottom line stays strong okay. and healthy. Um, I fortunately haven't had to do that in the last uh, couple of years um, that I've been there, but um, those kinds of things definitely are, you know, they're never completely off the table in terms of an option uh, that you may need to deploy at some point. Um, we certainly have had to, I guess the biggest sacrifice we've had to make is in the design of the furniture and the household goods that we provide to our individuals. If you were to come to our location, um, you would see beautifully designed um, sofas with nice armrests and things of that nature on them that were the kind that we could make before the cost of materials began to creep up on us and really skyrocket. And now they're very simple. We do not have armrests, and so we, we really have had to comp- had to um, scale back on the just the design of um, of what we provide. And that that kind of hurts because you really want individuals to have um, something they can really be proud of, and something that we can be proud of, and that's that's very nice, and and so forth. And trust me, it's very simple, <laughs> and that's that's a necessity, and it it is one of the things that we've had to do in order to. Make sure that we maintain um, a profitable business, so that we can continue our purpose.
0: Yeah. So, so what, what then, as you are, um, you know, operating your business, I'm kind of broad strokes, um, you know, rough estimate. What does what? How much is the actual? procurement and all the all the revenues that you're that you're bringing in um from the business uh, versus things that need to be grant funded. like like to what extent is it is it kind of sustainable
1: as is or how close to? Well, believe it or not, we don't have any grants, and so it is one hundred percent no kidding. no kidding. We um I shouldn't say none. we have a, we we just were pleased by our banking partner actually recently with a small grant uh, that was really kind of them. but um and we were probably going to change that. And, and honestly, I'm seeking. Um, actively pursuing grants now. Uh, okay. but up to this point, uh, we really um, we will apply for an occasional um, grant uh, from local partners. Um, but largely uh, we are we are ninety nine point nine percent funded by the by putting our elbow you know to the grindstone every day, if you will. That's incredible.
0: so i, I you know, I think that, the the ability then uh, when you have when you're able to do that the ability to to grow and to, to hopefully scale mm-hmm. both your your mission and your impact along with your business uh, becomes much much e- not easier but um, easier than if than if it was dependent on increasing your grant funding so um, that's really neat to hear that you're able to do that so what are some of the ways other than being able to you know, be profitable or at least break even. Um, you know, what are some of the other
1: ways that you do measure success?
0: What are some of the other you know ways you measure what matters?
1: So we um, we take in about two hundred, believe it or not, we have about two hundred people who come across our, our our door through the course of a year um, and get some exposure to our our work environment, and they could be individuals who come to us through, as I said, the uh, the web program. As well as through community service and other agencies, recovery programs, and so forth. Um, our main measure is the extent to which those individuals walk away with skills they didn't have, and so we'll ask them um, what they've what they've learned. Um, the, the 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 thing that we look for most, though, is whether or not they were able to leave and get a job, or at least leave with a referral level. So ideally, they would leave because they leave us because they they found a job someplace. Um, Next to that, they've left with uh, with having demonstrated good enough skills so that we are glad to recommend them and write that referral level as they continue their job search. Um, worst case, they walk away with skills and with a work ethic that they that they didn't have before. It may still need some some honing and some improvement and some brushing up, um, but at least they are a step above or a step beyond um, where they were when they came. At least they have an appreciation. Or a feeling that work is not a bad thing <laughs> to have in your life, it's a good thing to do. Um, so, those are the things that we kind of we look at and we really measure. We really are about having individuals improve their lot in life. Um, and even in some cases, it's a matter of having a person feel good about who they are. In many instances, they, you know, people come with some pretty deep wounds. And um, if we can even get them to recognize, um, that they are a person who has gifts and skills and talents, um, they're loved and they have purpose and all those kinds of things, then uh, that's kind of a first step to becoming a more productive individual.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some quantitative things, but there's some things you just can't measure. Absolutely. Um, Are are, are there any then, uh, whether whether you want to share names or not, but are there any kind of success stories other than those that you you mentioned already have, have been able to grow inside your organization? Any that have, you know, that stand out to you in terms of those that have gone on to great success elsewhere?
1: Well, let's see. I won't mention names, but I can, um, individuals or places, I guess, where individuals have gone. Um, in fact, I just saw a gentleman yesterday. I was at a car dealership. He's there and has been there now for two years as a salesperson. He's one of their best salespeople. Go Javen, I will phenomenal. mention his name. He's awesome. Um, a young lady left to go work at Wegmans. She came and really did not know what she wanted to do uh, with herself. And we we will conduct something called a kind of a job readiness assessment. It's a it's a fun little card game, uh, courtesy of a person at my church, David Vickers. I will mention his name. Thank you, David. Um, but it, it's a it's a card game in that it forces you to really think about what you like. And so you may start with, I don't know, 50-some-odd options for things that you'd like to do with your life, and you'll end up with maybe two or three uh, by the time you're done with with sorting through and really thinking hard about what you really like. And um, she really wanted to, she liked to bake, she liked the kitchen, she liked food, she liked those kinds of things, and she ended up getting a job at Wegmans. And so we were really, really proud of her, very proud of her. Um, Another young lady left to work at ShopRite, uh, no, I'm sorry. A gentleman uh, left and worked at Chop Right, and individuals and in organization would see him there. Um, his his managers were completely thrilled uh, with him as an employee. Just a very pleasant, very pleasant person. Um, another lady left to go to Dunkin' Donuts. They're they're just individuals who have gone to different places, and we've been able to to kind of track um, their being there over a period of time. And so, those are the successes that make us feel best. That's
0: wonderful. That that's that's a lot to be proud of. Congratulations. It
1: really is. It really is. So
0: okay. I was thinking as well, because um, you know, sometimes I'm trying to convince uh, the, the capitalists to be more conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's trying to convince the conscious folks to be a little bit more capitalist. So you know, I, I am seeing, though, more and more nonprofits that, that are trying to bring in some or maybe even all of their revenue through, uh, you know, through the actual business operations. Uh, what do you think uh, is keeping more
1: organizations from,
0: from trying to adopt that kind of approach?
1: I, I do think it's it's more um, culture and just the ingrained um, perspective that accompanies there to to maximize shareholder value. Um, if that's what you've been taught and that's what you know how to do, then that that's what you're going to do, and you're going to feel good about it because that is that is what profitable companies do. They maximize the value of their shareholders. They they give money back to their shareholders. Um, but all companies, most companies, especially large organizations, also have some level of social responsibility. And so ideally, um, they would be able to convince their boards and their shareholders that um, sharing some of the profit with the, within their social responsibility function is a good outcome as well. You know, to have an impact not just on individuals, but directly uh, on the communities where companies do business
0: as you then have made the transition from 20 plus years at Xerox and in a for-profit you know sales and marketing and you know mm-hmm. that that sort of realm to now being in a in a smaller uh, nonprofit organization what is has what the transition for you been like just in terms of I don't know leadership style or has there been
1: anything along the way that has kind of surprised you that you weren't yeah. expecting? I think the biggest um, transition for me, not so much from for-profit to non-profit, again, because we, we have to function as a profitable business, um, but size. <laughs> um, there's there's no one behind me to do the stuff that needs to be done <laughs> for the most part. So um, you really do have to roll up your sleeves and do more than you ever thought you'd do. There, there is no large support staff that can kind of take care of all the, the nits and the details behind a strategy or a program or initiative or... On some days, the bathroom. So you really do have to just jump in and, and do what needs to be done. Um, in terms of leadership, um, I, I think it really has reinforced the need to master the mix between being a servant leader and a strategic leader. Um, you're not going to survive in a, in a social venture um, if you aren't willing to put yourself um, aside, and, and not necessarily do what, what suits you best. Um, and the thing that puts, your, puts you out front, you have to put the people you serve uh, first. And you really have to think about um, what, what would be most beneficial for them, beneficial for your company so that you can continue to serve, but what's beneficial for them as well. And so that, that servant leader has to be, uh, has to be mixed extremely well with that strategic leader who says, we're going to be here in five to 10 years as well. Hmm. Yeah, I've never heard it quite termed
0: like that, but being able to being able to blend those two aspects. Mm-hmm. So has there been anything kind of in your journey that is, uh, that has made you into more of a servant leader or any kind of advice that you would give to, to listeners that are somewhere on that journey? And then I guess the corollary as well to, to become a more strategic leader.
1: Well, I guess in order to become more of a servant leader, I'd say do something you really love. Um, it's hard to to be a servant or to to put yourself, um, you know, n- have yourself somewhere below the f- the first thing on the list if you're not doing something that gratifies you uh, personally as well. And so, go, you know, solve a, a problem, look for an issue that you really feel passionately about, and set about trying to get that done. And you'll find that you are you're behaving more as a servant lever, leader than um, and someone who's, who's really trying to, to do what it takes to get themselves ahead. Um, in terms of being a more strategic leader, it's hard. I will say that because you are busy doing other stuff. But um, I don't know. I don't know that I have specific advice for how to become more strategic, except that you do have to you know, always think about um, the competitive environment. Um, there's always someone else who may be doing something um, that y- you're never you're You're never the only answer. And so, uh, making sure that you are thinking about the competitive landscaping, thinking about how you can be better, what can you offer uh, that perhaps others can't offer, um, anticipate where things are going. And so just you know what what's lying ahead? if I look at as I think about the environment and and so forth, and you know, whether it's the economic environment, social environment, what have you, what what's looming? You know what's uh, what's likely to occur? and how can we provide? An answer, a solution, or at least some ingredient uh, to help address uh, what what seems to be coming down the pike.
0: Hmm. All right. Yeah. Because I mean, again, as you're as you're blending those two things, and clearly in kind of this social entrepreneurship space, I think especially you know a, a lot of young people come in and they want to create some kind of social enterprise or at least a a socially conscious, socially minded business. Um, any anything kind of in that journey of of lessons learned along the way that that it would be different than a traditional entrepreneurial journey?
1: I'm not sure there is. Um, you know, knowing that you're you're going to utilize your profit in a different way, you're going to invest, you reinvest your profit, you know, back into the business, and so your business model will be a will be slightly different. Um, ideally, you'll be profitable enough so that you can continue to grow and, and serve your, your your clients and or your your constituency, not your clients, but your your constituency and the uh, the audience that you you hope to address and improve something for. Um, but I think the diligence that you need to put forth in order to develop a profitable business plays in a social venture as well.
0: Yeah, you're you're taking on taking on a little bit little another.
1: Another layer of complexity, but uh, but it's
0: definitely a lot of similar
1: principles. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know teamwork matters. Uh, probably matters more. We tend to function, as I said, pretty independently. But I think increasingly, um, in in the social environment, the purposeful environment, um, you know, the, the, the challenges that we try to address are big. They're they're big. They're they're overwhelming. And so, uh, increasingly, uh, figuring out that partnership network. Um, will be very important for, I think, a successful social venture, knowing uh, where you can make an impact and where you need to rely upon someone else and you know in order to really address a particular issue.
0: So among our listeners, then, that kind of invites the question. i'm I'm curious if there's anything, whether from from businesses that that may be potential customers mm-hmm. or um, or maybe hiring some of the folks that that have been through your program uh, or some of those collaborative partners that you're mentioning. What if if there's listeners around Rochester that are really inspired by your story and want to figure out ways that they could help or get involved or become a collaborative partner? What kinds of help you know do you most need?
1: Well, um, so we always want people <laughs> who are who are trying to get their lives together, and so having a good steady stream of individuals who are willing to come roll up their sleeves and learn how to work. Um, so if there are agencies who are looking for places to to put their people. Um, in order to gain that experience. We're, we're, we're here, we're willing, and as I said, we we tend to be very accepting. Um, we do run a manufacturing organization, which means that there is a lot of equipment that needs re- constant repair or constant replacement. And so if there are larger companies that have equipment that may be obsolete for them, it may be a jewel for us. And so we certainly do look for that, that big brother who might be able to uh, look over our shoulder and uh, help us to meet some of those those kinds of needs, uh, or even just a good, skilled technician that can come in every now and then and help us to uh, to keep things running. Um, that's always good. Um, we don't take an awful lot of donations for um, upholstered furniture and things of that nature because we don't have a good, reliable way of, of making sure that it's completely cleaned. But um, we do accept donations of working appliances and things of that nature um, so that we can continue to serve our, our clients. So uh, those are just, I guess, a short list. We do have a uh, a page on our website uh, where we do tend to list some of the things that we are in need of. So I'd invite anyone to join up, go to our web- website www.makinghopepossible.com. Kind of a long word, all one word, making hope possible, and um, you can see more about what we do and and what we need. Great. So as we're as we're looking then ahead
0: to the future, uh, what kinds of ways are you seeing the 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 purpose, the organization? Uh, How how do you see it growing and evolving over the next, I don't know,
1: 10 years? That's a really good question, Uh, speaking of being strategic, (laughs) which Mm. I haven't had a chance to do lately. Um, Ideally, uh, with initiatives like RMAPI and so forth, we would begin to see uh, some impact on the, the, the poverty issue that we all struggle with here in the Rochester area. And so, you know, hopefully, we'll be in a position to concentrate more on, on being more of a formalized training organization to keep people abreast um, of, of the skills that are needed in the local area versus um, there being such a strong and such a big need for just for basic things that people cannot provide for themselves. I think that'll be a part of, our, of what we do for the foreseeable future, for sure. But ideally, as our local economy improves, uh, you know keeping people abreast of of upcoming and emerging and uh, skills and so forth, I think will become more and more important. Yeah, yeah, figuring out that whole ecosystem as you're mentioning, mm-hmm. you know,
0: getting getting more of that kind of collective impact mentality where how can we all address address things without, mm-hmm too much overlap and, you know, without recreating the wheel in too many cases, but, but mm-hmm. also being able to recognize that, um, we all do need to be a part of this if we're going to make, if we're going to make lasting change. Absolutely. Well, somehow we're already, uh, coming close on time, but I just wanted to thank you for, for making the time, uh, to, to come join and share your story. But probably more importantly, the work that you're doing each and every day to impact the lives of the people that are working with you and, and even the lives of, of the people that you're serving in terms of getting all of the, all of the things that they need for, for a new home is, is just such a special experience and a special service to our community. So thank you truly for, for all that you and your team are doing.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity, Andrew. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully your listeners will, uh, will share the passion <laughs> for what we do. Absolutely. Thanks.
0: Thanks, as always, to all the evolutionaries out there listening across more than 30 countries around the world. We hope that you found it to be both inspirational and full of actionable insights to guide you on your own evolutionary journey. We've grown this movement entirely by word of mouth, so if you know someone who might find value in listening to this episode, we'd be deeply grateful if you'd share it with them. And of course, make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening app so that you're notified as soon as we release new episodes each week. Together, we can evolve business toward a more conscious capitalism.